Welcome, friends, to the True Myth Media Podcast, a conversational cinema community. I'm your host, Michael McDonald, and it's good to be back after quite the long hiatus. Uh, today, I have an interesting conversation discussing some of the things that I and my guest, Chris Yeisley, have learned or observed concerning how the people that we watch films with affect our opinions or experiences of the movies. Um, but yeah, it's been a wild year, huh? <laughs> I'm definitely going to record an episode where I kind of talk about the the year and the film journey that I've been on over the course of um, the lockdowns and protests and everything that's been going on. Uh, just kind of talk about what uh, place movies have had in my life. And I'm excited to hear about that from you guys as well. But for today, I'm just going to try and set some expectations, um, some goals for what I want uh, the next stage of the True Myth Media podcast to look like. Um, I'm planning on copying a little bit of the John Oliver model or some other podcast like Revisionist History with Malcolm Gladwell, where they do seasons where once every three or four months they'll put out like 10 episodes or, um, you know, they'll basically do seasons just like a TV show used to do. Um, and for me, winter is always a really, um, you know, movie centric time of the year because that's when I'm home watching movies. So, uh, of course, during the winter of COVID and lockdowns, I'm really feeling the the need to reach out to my friends and family who watch movies and discuss with them. So for this season, I'm planning on doing 10 episodes. Uh, they're going to cover a variety of subjects and styles, uh, multiple guests. I've got some of these planned already, um, a little more than half of them, and then a couple more that I'm going to schedule as I get some feedback and hear what kinds of things people are interested in talking about. Some of those will be call-in shows, some will be solo shows, some will have guests. Um, if there's interest, I might even do a live episode on Twitch or YouTube. YouTube if the listenership is game for such a thing. In short, while I've gone through an interesting stage in my film journey this year, the show will go through a similar journey. Um, but for now, I guess the best way I can whet your appetite for the current season is to say that I've got a few guests and shows already scheduled, but the show will in many ways be what it's always been. It's just a place for people who enjoy talking about movies with me and the film crew that I happen to run with. Uh, next week, on Tuesday, February 2nd, uh, I'm actually going to be doing a guest host spot on uh, the Flux Deposed podcast uh, that is run by uh, Lucas and Jason, a couple of friends of mine who, uh, if you watched Battle of the Beer uh, back in the day on YouTube, they were the, they were the on-screen hosts and talent. Um, Lucas is one of my friends from film school, one of the funniest guys I know, and him and his uh, best friend Jason do a podcast where they just catch up with each other over the week. Um, used to be very nerd-centric, video games, movies, things like that. It's moved a little bit more towards the dad cast lately because they've their lives have been dominated by their children. But uh, it's always a really fun time to just uh, get together and talk about um, what's been going on in our lives. And we have a lot of crossover and interest, so it's always a fun conversation. And then in a few weeks, uh, Lucas will actually guest on my show. But if you want to tune in live, they stream on Twitch at 8.30 p.m. every week on Tuesday. The name of the show is Fluxtaposed. That's F-L-U-X, like fuck, flux, <laughs> like flux. And to posed, like juxtaposed. So you smash those two words together, you've got flux to posed. Um, 
As you know, I also love to feature people's calls and emails on the show. So if you're interested in making your voice heard on the next episode, you can call 616-287-0275 and leave me um, your voice message to be included. Or you can always email me, michael at truemythmedia.com, and uh, ask your questions or give your feedback there. Our first question of the week is going to be, what did movies mean to you in 2020? Um, I know it's been a cra- it was a crazy year, and uh, there's been a lot of discussions about the politics Um the, the the social dynamics, the racism, the, the 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 infrastructure of our medical community. I mean, there's so many things going on in our country. Let's just have a little good old fashioned talk about movies. What did movies mean to you in 2020? For me, uh, I actually discussed this a little bit with Chris uh, in the middle of our conversation. So I'm just going to leave my answer to the main uh, portion of the show and get started with uh, Chris Yisley. Chris is a friend of mine from film school, an, an editor. He actually edited one of my school or he actually directed one of my uh, uh, one of my first projects that I ever edited. So I actually learned a lot about editing from Chris, too. Um whether <laughs> I don't even know if he realizes that or not, how much I learned from him on that project. But uh, I guess it'll be news to him when he hears this intro to our conversation, which we had on Wednesday morning. Enjoy. Yeah, I actually, it's been really nice the last couple of weeks because um, I've been kind of gearing up for this uh, for another round. And uh, because of that, I've been like thinking about movies more and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I want, I've watched a couple of pretty good ones lately. I, uh, I saw the hater, which I had heard about that. <clears throat> uh, Chad called it his favorite movie of last year. So that was a good enough recommendation okay. for me. That is a good recommendation, <laughs> but yeah, especially, uh, if you, I don't know if you listened to the episode we did, uh, you know, back probably the end of summer, about the documentary the social dilemma um i did not but it's that's a documentary that's on netflix that's all about like social media and the things that we it's like the things that we know are dangerous about it but haven't thought through really like the next step kind of thing like we all know social media is kind of dangerous in some ways but we don't really understand how and this movie was really laying out how Interesting. And then the hater was about a guy who goes to work at a, um, like a marketing firm, kind of like a Buzzfeed or something like that, you know, yeah. um, that generates content and helps people raise their profiles and everything. And it's in some ways, I would say that it's a modern crime thriller, um, hmm. like an exploration of a psychotic mind kind of like American psycho, but taking it out of like the board, the corporate boardroom and putting it more in like the tech sector. Um, and it's extremely prescient because it came out last year and he definitely delves into like political ramifications. Uh, he starts getting involved in more and more high profile stuff. Um, or like nightcrawler, maybe a little bit with Jake Gyllenhaal and how oh, that right. one is with like <laughs> video and um, news. Yeah. So really, Very really good. Interesting. I think I'm going to probably have, I'm going to try and get Todd Lewis, the guy who uh, I talked about the social network with to do an episode of the show talking about that movie. Cause I feel like uh, it's a really, really good one. 
that sounds like it was really well timed too. Like it's released oh, corresponded to a lot yeah. of stuff that was going on in the tech sector at the time. Oh, I I couldn't believe how how relevant both of those movies were to me. <laughs> like they just really both of them really found a home <laughs> in my mind at least. Yeah. Indeed. So yeah, uh you know with quarantine, uh, we thought we would get together and uh, talk about some of the ways that our movie watching has changed. I know I'm going to be asking a lot of other people what their movie habits were like, what their movie life was like in 2020. Um, and for me, one of the biggest changes is not seeing as many movies with people. Um and so that's kind of what prompted it. And then we had our like kind of pre-conversation uh, last week and you, nice. you brought up, uh, you brought up something about uh, like watching movies with your in-laws yeah. um, that I thought was really interesting. Um, and I, I thought would pair really well with some of uh, some of the thoughts that I've been having about how the people that I watch movies with, I've become more and more aware of how they affect my experience with the film. Um, yeah. You want to tell me about uh, the, the kind of the movie nights that you were doing with your, you were doing with your in-laws? Yeah, I guess this is a tradition that's carried over uh, via my wife. She and her family would sit down for popcorn and a movie every Sunday evening since she was a little girl. And so that's something they've done. Uh, for ages but none of them would consider themselves like movie critics they just do it for entertainment value or they'll watch a series or something um, yeah so i got grafted into this when we were dating and it's we've just continued it in our household whether the in-laws are involved or not but most of the time we use it as an opportunity for us to all get together and and watch something together and that has it's been really fun to know that there's this time that we'll be together and I can graft them into some of my movies. Uh, my <laughs> father-in-law has been really excited to like explore my top 100 and like, what's, what's on like, oh, usually when we finish a movie, he'll ask, is this on your top 100? Like, where does this fall? Uh, and so he's very curious to kind of see the ins and outs. And he's, it's been fun to like how our back knowledge as filmmakers has influenced him because he'll start saying like, okay, so I was watching that movie and I think I could see where the cave was right there in the middle of the film. And act two, is that like right there? Oh, like, yeah, that would be where act two starts. And so he's, he's tried to pick up some of the film lingo and see like how the story structure flows. But at the same time, um, it's interesting to see how um, I guess being reminded of, a, I don't know if a layperson's term is correct, but like the way that people who, usually aren't using film lingo will describe things and use certain terms. I'm like, well, yeah. that's not, I know you think that is what that means, but it's like, this is actually when we're talking about narrative <laughs> and story, that is what that means. So like, like you might be, they might be using a term descriptively, but not necessarily accurately. Correct. Like if they yeah. don't, they don't realize it's a technical term yes. and they think it's just a descriptive one. So, so because like, um, so it's been cool to see the influence that filmmaking has had, like my, my viewpoint on editing and story has had on how they view movies, but also it's affected me. And this happens anytime I have a regular audience of people that I'm watching movies with, and I'm like in charge of picking the movie. I get very worried about, okay, 
what are they willing to see or not see? Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like that is, that is one of the biggest struggles for, I feel like uh, a film person is everybody wants to pick a movie and you have to judge like, how forward can I be? How forward can I be? So I, <laughs> so even showing them the matrix for the first time, which my father-in-law had been very excited to like, see what all that was about. Oh, I, I bet. kept warning them like, okay, we're watching the second movie. I got to warn you guys, like there's some naughty bits in here and I'm just letting you know, there's a, like, this is what, so I try to like always. Preface, and I got to like, warn you, it's not ready. as cool as the first one. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a whole separate discussion. Actually. Uh, I think that's both true and not true. Like it's a very mixed movie, but um, saying why, like, all right, it's rated R guys. And this is why. Like, here are the things. Are we all okay with that? And usually everyone is. Um, but it's been interesting to see um, just kind of like, oh, I can't show. I don't think they're ready for that. Or I think that this one is going to send, like, it's going to have content in it that I know is going to be abrasive to my in-laws' political beliefs. Um, and I'm not sure if they're ready to, like, have that conversation right now. So um, yeah. it's, it's always, like, the way um, – picking movies for them and even picking movies for when it's just me and my wife. I'm mm -hmm. like, Hmm, I'm maybe in the mood for under the skin, but I don't think my wife wants to watch that right now. <laughs> uh, so it's like, it's, it's a trade-off and even seeing, I guess how they describe movies. I think the, the, one of the movies I first showed, not first showed, but like when it was just me and my wife, um, very early on, I was like, Hey, I want to show you baby driver. I think this is fantastic. And it's like, it's such yeah. a good film. Yeah. I throw it in and like we watch it and we finish it. And she was like, I was really in pa And like, we're talking months later. She's like, I'm still thinking about that film and like all the characters and the things that were going on in there. But it was really, she would describe the movie as, movie as really intense and scary, which I would have never described Baby Driver as scary. Right. Intense, maybe. <clears throat> intense. Like, especially for was, somebody who's not into like that kind of thing. Um, right. Even for people who are, the part of what's fun about it is it's more intense than that average, like, yeah, car heist movie. It is. It's it's a weird mix of like this is dark, but it's also funny and playful at the same time. Yeah. And so both of them, like, I, she was like, I don't need to see that movie again for a while. Like, I really enjoyed it, but I don't need it again. It was really mm. intense and dark, and I had just come away with glee and enjoyment from watching it. And then I showed it like we did pop it in yeah. again, like within a year because her, my father-in-law came over to watch it and he had the exact same opinion. Like, Whoa, that was really dark. And I felt like I had definitely showed them movies that were more like what you would consider were higher dark. stakes. Yeah. What I, well, yeah. I'm just like, well, we watched the matrix and humanity is basically like, that seems a lot more dark than this guy, this little kid um, trying to get out of the crime life. It's still intense and the stakes are high. But yeah. it was very interesting. They both had the same reaction where like they were kind of turned off by how intense and dark it was. And I was just really well, excited by it. I so wonder, it's, it's I wonder if that has to do with, um, you know, cause I, I have a lot of similar kinds of thoughts and conversations when trying to pick out movies. Mm -hmm. And um, I know, especially as a cinephile, um, a lot of times I, I will stray towards being judgmental of people who like, uh, you know, less, <laughs> 
I don't, I don't know. I don't want to call them less good movies, but <laughs> less sophisticated. I don't know. Even I'm not even More sophisticated. Better. Yeah. I don't know how to, <laughs> but you know, I can be a movie snob, uh, you know, sure. a bit. Yeah. I'm in there with you. And, um, yeah, like that sort of movie, it wouldn't necessarily occur to me, but I wonder if part of it is because it's crime oriented and the matrix is not. Oh, could be. The Matrix is more like Lord of the Rings in some ways where it's monolithic evil versus good. That's true. And I'm not, I'm certainly not denying that baby driver is dark and it is intense, which is what makes it like exciting because there's a lot of dramatic questions and you aren't, you are not, I think that what is what maybe got my wife is because she's used to like saying there's danger, but I kind of know everyone's going to be okay. Whereas this in baby driver, you're not sure that like this isn't going to end with everybody dying. Well, especially because in a crime movie, it's not unusual for a character like baby to sacrifice himself to let the innocent person get away. So it really is like, you know, possible that he, he bites it by the end of the movie. Yeah. And you just know that's not going to happen with Neo. Like he's the one you know the he's whole the time. one but there's still <laughs> like the characters in the movie are kind of nervous about whether he's the one or not but nobody exactly. watching the movie is yeah well yeah i mean but he does <laughs> i mean to be fair he does like bite it twice in the series do you think yeah. that that is like are people expecting that at the end when they like get to the third movie do you think they're set up for you know i think neo's gonna die here and i'm, I'm gonna be at peace about that uh I, I i don't know i I'll I'll speak less to the second and third movie because I I don't know them as well and sure. um and it it is hard for me to even say on the first one because I know it front to back it came out when I was in high school like right, yeah you know that is the action movie of my high school <laughs> years uh so like <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you know to me it's hard to put myself in that place of not knowing how the movie ends. Uh, but I was certainly a less sophisticated watcher back then. And I don't know. I think especially as somebody who watched TV a lot, you just get comfortable with the idea that your characters aren't going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, I, I would say actually that's one of my main complaints of most action films is that n- not enough action films end with their protagonists dying to create stakes in most movies for me. Cause I know yeah. they live. I know they live. Yeah. You know? I, I would agree. I had some friends who were in that way as well. They were like, I would prefer that this guy died. Like gladiator ends. And I'm always really bummed, like sad when Maximus dies. But at the same time, I'm like, this couldn't have ended any other way. Maximus yeah. has to die. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like those kinds of questions are things that, I don't know if I would necessarily ever ask myself if I didn't watch those movies with people who are coming from different perspectives than me, you know, um, it's, it's something that I've discovered over the last year. I think, especially I'd started figuring this out kind of with, you know, true myth media, the podcast and part of the journey I've been on is realizing that through my relationship with like Seth and Chad and other people that I've had on the show that, how much of how much of my movie watching I'm watching through someone else's eyes in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and why I never really minded going to the movie theater by myself, because I've, in some ways I 
preferred that because I felt like I was watching it from my perspective. I wasn't thinking about Katie sitting next to me on the date that we're on. I wasn't thinking about my mom and dad who I took out to see this movie who are sitting next to me Mm. or whatever. And um, so in some ways it's like you get, I would get more quote unquote pure of a viewing experience. Hmm because it wouldn't have that input from those people. But then I've had some other experiences too, where like, um, you know, a great example of this would be uh, the Marvel films. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody knows I'm a little lackluster on Marvel films. I'm more than a little critical of Disney in general. (laughs) Um, And I, I really enjoyed the first few Marvel films. I think those experiences were fun, even though I don't, I wouldn't call like Iron Man and those movies, like even anywhere near my, probably not even in my top 200 movies. Yeah. Um, you know, they're just not on those lists, but they were fun experiences. And I, as I thought back on it, um, especially because when the last Marvel, um, like Marvel Endgame came out, my friend Zachariah, who I had, Um, known in my 20s he had actually gone to film school the year before me had moved to new york and la and all these other things so i hadn't seen him really in years and years probably 10 years so during that time all these marvel movies came out were coming out and then when the end game came out he's like hey we should go check out the last one together because he's a big comic book nerd um and we went to see it and we were having a drink beforehand he's like hey do you realize we saw Iron Man together, the first one. Uh, like that was the that was the start of Marvel, like phase one. Mm. And we're finishing off Marvel phase whatever together also. Mm. And that got me really thinking about how I enjoyed all those films differently. And I really think that in some sense, I just enjoy those movies better with Zach than almost anybody else. Mm. And also my brother, because I saw in the infinity war with my brother, I think. And, uh, but, and some of them like Thor Ragnarok, I enjoy that one. I think that one's genuinely a good movie. Um, Katie and I really enjoy that. We've seen it like three or four times. Um, We saw it twice in the theater. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but a lot of those movies are the sort I could really classify them as that's the sort of movie that I would enjoy with a friend, but not by myself. Mm -hmm. Do you think like a lot of filmmakers and film psychologists often point to the uniqueness of film being a medium, uh, maybe not uniqueness, but it's power being in this, that we're sitting together as a collective mind watching this image that plays to like our subconscious. Do you think like, the medium's power lies like, what do you think is the best way to watch a movie? Like by yourself, uh, just maybe sitting on your laptop on your home TV um, or in that theater with people you care about or even complete strangers. Like I guarantee you my experience seeing Endgame was far different because I didn't see it on opening night where the theaters were packed and everyone was there to like share the experience together and react and, do all the things so like i've had people theorize that like the two best places 
to watch a movie or environment are either in a theater collectively in that environment that's made for the movie or by yourself like with headphones but like the worst place to do it and this is interesting because it's kind of the environment we're talking about the worst place to see a movie for the first time is in your living room with a bunch of friends like what do you think about how that psychologically plays into your enjoyment of a movie and community hmm that's interesting because like I could see it. It's it. It's not so much of a question to me of like, what's the best way to watch it as it is. What are the effects of watching it in this way? And how can we enter into that experience? No aware of that dynamic and taking advantage of it. Like I'm not a person. um, And I'm I'm pretty sure you're not either who thinks that all movies are created equal essentially and (laughs) watch whatever you want. It's all entertainment. Who cares? Right. I think there is, I think that just as there are great pieces of cinema that can lift the human spirit, I think that there are pieces of cinema that can crush it. Yeah. Um, And I also think that there are ways to watch it that affect the same thing. So a lot of it has to do with what you want out of a film. Um, You know, uh, an example uh, I, th- I think I've brought up multiple times is watching the movie, the Holy mountain. Um, I watched that first with Chad. Um, he, he knew that it was going to be something that I would like because it was very philosophical, very existential, um, weird, surrealist imagery, um, jarring editing at times, you know, Ooh. using all of the experimental surrealist stuff. And man, we just sat, I sat in rapt silence for most of that movie. And when we got to the end of it, I was just like, dude, my mind is blown. I feel like, I feel like my mind, my horizons have been expanded. This movie made me want to get up and write a novel. (laughs) Made me want to go on a hiking vacation with my wife. Um, It just made me want to go out and live. Interesting. You know, now, here's what's interesting. Like, if y'all, if y'all don't know Chad Ice, get to know Chad Ice. Like, he is. <laughs> He's he one is, of. The, I love Chad. <laughs> Chad. Chad is. I from personal experience, I'll say that Chad is probably one of the best editors that I know. Uh, personally and he's really he had clearly has a deep understanding of the craft and i've had times where i've like when i've been doing film shoots in michigan i've had the pleasure of being able to like bunk with him and he's been happy to host me but he had the, the same thing happen to me michael like it was a completely different film he was like hey under the skin just came out on blu-ray oh yeah i'm gonna go that's I'm another go one that it. is like that and i was like tell me what it's about he's like no i'm not gonna tell you anything about it we're gonna go buy it <laughs> and we're gonna go pop it in and I sat there, it's a completely different movie, but I sat there at like had the exact same experience that you are describing, where I sat there in rapt silence and then didn't speak until the credits were five minutes done. Like, right. I'm like, I don't have any, I, how do I describe what I just saw? And, and so it makes me wonder if Chad's like, I mean, maybe this is the sub discussion, but like Chad just kind of knows like, this person's really going to enjoy this movie. In the, he's like, great, he is great at picking people for films, like knowing that this film is for this person. He's really yeah. good at that. Um, 
Yeah, but then I watched that movie, The Holy Mountain, with my friend Lucas, another guy Ooh, you know. Right, do know Lucas. <laughs> Quite a also a great guy. Yeah, um, people people who have followed True Myth Media's journey uh, will know Lucas as the original founding partner of True Myth Media yeah. back when we were a wedding videography company. Oh man! And also, they'll Good know him from Battle of the Beer, the um, YouTube show that he yeah. and I. Um, produced like comment and subscribe yeah (laughs) (laughs) two years after we stopped making them (laughs) but um but honestly check it out because it is one of the best beer shows you'll find on (laughs) youtube uh we are always criminally underrated if you ask me (laughs) (laughs) but he's just one of the funniest guys uh, right he is one of my writing partners so we've written comedy shorts together um his wife and mine have always joked that we're two sides of the same coin. Um, like you just, you get us together and it's joke after joke after joke. And the same thing happened with the Holy mountain. When I showed that movie to him, the Holy mountain is also a very funny movie because it's surrealist. But Mm. when I was hanging, when I was watching it with Chad, I didn't laugh one time. Mm. Nothing about it seemed funny. But when I watched it with Lucas, nothing about it seemed profound. It all seemed funny. Was that because strictly because you were with Lucas or because of the way Lucas was overtly reacting to the movie whilst watching it? I I mean, I think there's there's a certain amount of like both and there, you know, like part of watching a movie with someone is being in the same physical space with them and hearing their reactions, sensing their presence as they squirm in the chair next to you or whatever, you know, like all of that does affect you. And uh, like, of course, you know, because we're old friends and jokesters, like, you know, he was very free with his laughter at certain moments and (laughs) even cracking a joke here and there. But one of the things that it made me really appreciate about the film was how multifaceted it is. I mean, like I talk, I have talked many times with people, not as much on this show because it's more of a comedy nerd discussion than it is a film nerd discussion um, about how close I do believe humor is to um, a healthy understanding of the world. And actually like in a religious context i will say how how close i think humor is to the heart of god mm. um and i uh, i i have remarked to people before when somebody like tripped and fell and i laughed and somebody is like you know that's so mean or whatever and i'm like are you kidding me i bet god laughed at that <laughs> like i bet god laughs at us all the time mm. like he created us <laughs> Like, like from a, from a religious perspective, I think God thinks that we are silly a lot of the time. Um, yeah, it actually, it, the Psalms do mention that explicitly. I mean, I know we, we, you and I had a very interesting conversation about the Psalms last week, but yeah. like Psalm two is like, he who sits enthroned in heaven laughs and because the humans below are doing really stupid stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, to me, like then to watch a movie that I had had what I would call a profound spiritual experience with, and then yeah. find out that it's also laden with comedy and humor and mm. a lighthearted look at the silliness of man thinking how important he is or how powerful he is and things like that. Um, like literally one of the iconic images of the Holy Mountain that made 
us laugh so hard is, you know, there's these different beings that are on other planets and the guy who lives on the one, he's in charge of weapon. His entire planet is dedicated to weapons manufacture. And his hero stands up and he's got essentially uh, like a Tommy gun, but it's been made out of like fiberglass and cardboard and paper mache. And it's twice the size of the guy. Huh. You no, know, it's, it's a huge prop, you know, it's, yeah. sur- it's surrealist, it's very you know, surreal. yeah, it's a surrealist commentary or whatever, but it's also very funny. And I, <laughs> I don't know if I would have seen that as well without Lucas sitting next to me, like recognizing it. Yeah. Interesting. That's true. Yeah. It feels like there are movies that I, um, I can't remember if they're movies. Yeah, they're movies maybe I have really enjoyed or made and didn't realize like I'm having this, I've tried to edit it in a way in which it was going to be very serious. And I always thought like, yeah, this is really good. Or like someone, yeah, it was. I had a, I had a moment during a chasing that I edited. I'm like, this is going to be really tense. And like, I showed it to one of my friends and he just started laughing because of like the way the, it was just the way the door opened like coming into the seat. <laughs> and he just was dying of laughing i'm like the main characters are about to die yo like why why yeah you but that was that was goofy yeah it was goofy it was <laughs> and it is goofy like it was just my delusions of like i did this well were being broken before my eyes but that is exciting to see how other people react i think not just as a movie watcher but it's like one of my primary joys as a film editor yeah is sitting there like in the film in the theater on premiere day uh, watching the audience react the way I designed them to react is yeah. very like, I'm not watching the film usually cause I've seen it 50 times at that point when it gets into the theater, but I'm watching everyone to see like, oh, all right. Now it's like, I know I made a decent cut, but did I pull off what I intended? Are they going to be emotionally impacted yeah. by the way this film turned out? Yeah. Like actually, um, you know, a film school story, uh, second semester, uh, you know, I wrote a film and produced it, uh, incoming tempt and, Oh, that's right. I forgot that was yours. And like, it's got a fair amount of effects in it. Um, you know, we're film students, like there are things in it that do not work. There are things in it that I think worked really well, but one of my favorite things is like at the end of it, it just, like the button on the movie is a great laugh gag that totally worked. And as much as I was disappointed in certain other aspects of the film, I always, I always chalk that up as like a great learning experience for me that actually also delivered because at the end, the credits rolled and it says directed by, you know, Seth Stolt now and the audience was still laughing. (laughs) <laughs> you know and that's and and to me i was like there i i did it i made i that thing that i was trying to create i created it um did it it it, it worked <laughs> it's very satisfying yeah. feeling man i know how i know what you mean it's do you uh, do that with films that you have seen like when you go to show them to people like you're going to sit down with your brother or uh some of your friends and you've seen this movie so you know how you react Yes. And then you watch them the whole movie. You're like, okay, I know coming. Yeah. Coming up here. Like this is a tense moment or I know I've cried here before, or that I know that that's really funny to me. 
do you like catch yourself yes. glancing over to them to be like, how did I, how did oh, I, do I don't, that? I don't catch myself glancing over at them. I intentionally <laughs> bore a hole into their face with my eyes the entire movie. Cause I can't help but watch them. <laughs> I wa- when I uh, showed the, uh, the movie Popeye starring Robin Williams to Chad and Seth, uh, <laughs> That was a particular delight because I grew up with the film. I love it. Um, I am very aware of its shortcomings, though. Sure. And so getting to watch the look of bewilderment on their face as they as they go, you've seen this a hundred times. <laughs> Why? Why not? You? <laughs> but yeah, then there are experiences like that, too, where the audience, the people that you're watching it, the movie itself becomes almost secondary to the experience with your friends. Yeah. Um, An example of that would be, I don't know, like Popeye. I don't think, you know, Seth Steele isn't going to buy a copy of Popeye. I don't think, I don't think he'll probably ever watch it again, but he will, we will always remember watching it together. (laughs) <laughs> and how ridiculous it was guys like and comment if you think seth should buy a copy of popeye <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> i mean if he has if he has multiple copies of the movie cats he should have a copy of popeye <laughs> oh ooh, called out <laughs> but yeah like i don't know things like that or um you know well let, let me ask you sorry. michael like about that like you, I'm glad you brought that up. Like, cause I had in my thoughts in uh, kind of some notes too, that we were like, I, I went a very long time without seeing princess bride. Um, mm. I wasn't avoiding it. It just never really like came up, <clears throat> but I felt like oh, I was such always, a good one. yeah. Well, I felt like I was always surrounded by people who were like, you have like, this is like, it was always pockets of people who were always shooting quotes back and forth to each other. I'm like, Oh, yes. okay. Something's going on with this movie. And I would always walk in to like see sections of the movie. Like, so I'd seen bits of it because the family I was living with or my family would be watching it or a friend's family or something. And so I had seen most of the movie out of order at this point. Mm. So like, I finally sit down with, uh, I think my in-laws to see this movie. Oh man. Um, and I'm That's like, great. all right, let's, let's do it. Let's watch it. I watch it front to back. And I'm like, interesting. Cause I walked away like being kind of puzzled as I finished it, I'm like, okay, that wasn't bad. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't rank it as a bad movie by any respect. I think it's good. But it didn't rise to the heights that maybe some of like your conversations with other people led you to believe it would be one of the greatest movies ever made. Kind of like it was, which I would say it is, but yes, I I know what you mean. Like it's, it was like, these are, it feels like, and I had to be very careful about how I worded it because I realized almost anything I said about Princess Bride could also be said about Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which I adored. So I had to be very careful. Yeah, those about, two movies actually like, are I, a great comparison like to to talk about together because they have very similar tracks of yeah. kinds of fans and also the ages you tend to watch it at. And but like yeah. Like Princess Bride to me is like the church version of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> like That's true. You don't you don't watch Monty Python at a youth group thing, but you could right. watch princess bride at a youth group thing well that's i think that's what helped inform it i felt like because i'm like okay putting aside monty python for just a second like if i looked Mm -hmm. at princess bride i'm like i feel generally like these are a bunch of really well executed jokes 
yeah. nested within a mediocre plot. But like yeah. everyone yeah. adores this movie. And I'm like, well, I can't deny that like it's very watchable. Like you can pop this in so as quotable. A and be like, this will be fun. We can quote this. We'll laugh. And I don't have to worry. Like, as a family, it's got one everyone of the, will enjoy it. It's got one of the greatest sword fights in any movie, period. <laughs> I, I would agree. Yeah. I, so I love that sword fight. It's like the movie's popularity has been informed, not necessarily like, because there are movies that are like, well, I can, I can rattle off hundreds of movies that I think are better movies, yeah. standalone movies than this movie. But like, not many that have the same following that princess bride has and its popularity has been informed like has been raised up by the culture that has gathered around it to watch it and that in well, like that's kind of what happened with me in my python like i watch it alone all the time and i love it but we had i had my group of friends and we adored this movie and we quoted it back and forth to each other we would often like yeah run the script while we were on car rides and just shoot the whole movie back and forth so it's something about this movie comes out and it's got some hidden potential or something that rises yeah. above its qualities as a film that later plant the seeds for a culture to form well, around it that raise it up higher. And I think part of it with those movies are the thing that they are satirizing or parodying. Um, you know, as a British film, you you can't go too much more iconic bread and butter. Everybody knows the basics as King Arthur. Right. And for Americans, a Disney fairy tale. That's that's about as like Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, like Snow White, the the kind of the Disney princess classic stories mm-hmm. is like the bedrock of American um, kind of mythology in some ways for children. Hmm, uh, I, very I few. Yeah. yeah, very few children grow up without understanding the the basic story of princess, evil king, knight who rescues. Right. That is that is a really ingrained story. And so it has a lot of latitude for um using shorthand imagery that people will understand at in an instant, just by like you, you lay your eyes on Dread Pirate Roberts, you know, you know what kind of character he is. You don't need to know anything about him. But then that assumption gets turned on its head. So that that makes it fun. Um, I don't know. I think part of it is that. That could be again the writing, just the the quotability of it. The there's no throwaway, not funny characters in that movie. Like if yeah. there if there is a guard in a scene, he has a bit. Yeah, <laughs> you know <laughs> it's true. I, I absolutely. Yeah, and and part of it is the communal experience of it. Of, um, and I don't know if this will change, uh, but again, pre-internet days, um, you know, you would hear about something like Monty Python or the Princess Bride in middle school, and like hear that it's funny. And, but it's not like you could go home and watch it. Yeah. You didn't just like, yeah. So it it was also something that you had to wait for the opportunity to see. Yeah. And it was usually with your friends and go to see it in theaters while it's still hot. Yeah. And almost always, because 
those movies came out when I was too young to go see a movie in the theater by myself or anything. Uh, Mm -hmm. Almost always you end up watching those movies with someone else who has seen the movie already. You almost never, very rarely have I met somebody um, who my age anyway, who the first time they watched Monty Python or the princess bride, they watched it by themselves or in a group of people who had never seen it. All of them. Mm, Right. It takes an advocate of the movie to get it viewed. And I think that's part of it. The magic of it too, is that there's almost an evangelical aspect to it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Let's run with that. Of like, this thing that has brought me great joy, I'm going to bring it to this party and pass that along and to my friends. Yeah. <laughs> there's so there is, I think there's a joy that comes from that experience of seeing other people join you in your, your pleasure, you know, uh, your enjoyment yeah. of a property do you that think, is very infectious. Do you think then like, cause let's compare the two movies still together. Like I, I would be perfectly willing. I had a friend who said like, I love Monty Python. I would never watch it alone. Mm-mm. And, but I'm in Me the either. position where I'm like, interesting. Like I, I know. Cause you, when Monty you said Python, earlier, you watch it by yourself. I was like, what? I watch it all. <laughs> yeah. I watch it by myself all the time. Like, would you put, uh, how would you translate that to movies like Princess Bride, which is what we're comparing. Like you, you love the movie and you know, obviously it's pushed best in a communal experience. Is that something that like, if you were at home alone, you're like, you know, I'm going to pop in princess bride because I like that movie. What do you Doubt think? It. Almost Doubt never. It. Probably. Maybe if, if I hadn't seen it in years and years, cause I just haven't run across people who haven't seen it just like then maybe. Um, but I mean, I've even watched it in groups of people where we've all seen it before and I enjoy it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, when Criterion right. when Criterion put out their edition of it, which is also like, by the way, a gorgeous edition. It's like interesting. I didn't know Criterion put out a version. Yeah, it's bound like a children's storybook kind of. Oh, yeah, it's really cool. So it's, nice. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I watched that with Seth and um, Jared, and because uh, mm-hmm. it's one of Jared's favorite movies, I think he said it's his favorite movie of all time, actually. Okay. And um yeah, that was a great experience. It but watching it by myself, yeah. Actually probably my favorite way of watching it <laughs> is when I used to work at the video store. I would throw that on in the background all the time. Oh, I see. Interesting. Because it's the sort of movie that there's just all these little bits. So if you come in the store and you only see 5 minutes of it, you still get to see something funny. You still get the bit. Yeah. And and I would have and especially in this area because um I don't live in as white dominant of an area Mm -hmm. of Grand Rapids. A lot of the people that come in our store hadn't seen it before. Mm. They're like, what's this? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, the Princess Bride, you got to get it. (laughs) (laughs) Make that sale. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I'm always pushing like our cheap old movies instead of our (laughs) new expensive ones. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, I don't know. I It's interesting. It yeah, so like as I think about how I experience movies with other people, that's really caused me um in as I look at uh my my faith walk since you're another Christian on the show today, you'll 
I think that you'll understand a little bit of where I'm coming at with this. Um, trying to be intentional with who I watch certain films with and recognizing what effect that has on my, um, my spiritual walk, my mental health outlook. Um, I've, I've realized that there are certain things that I can do that and certain people that are just people I want to watch movies with, um, you know, going back to talking about Chad for a second, because he's a great example of this. Um, he's a person that, you know, he's an atheist. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we don't talk about that a ton, me and him. I think we have a little bit. But for some reason, I don't know why. God really uses the way that Chad suggests movies to me and my experiences with him and the specifically the movies that I watch with him, I always find them to be very enriching and eye opening as far as perspective goes. And um, like God just speaks to me through it. Um, and so even though uh, in a more traditional, like evangelical sense of judgment, a lot of those movies would be seen as, um, you know, kind of trashy or not worth anything because they've got content in it that is objectionable. Sure. Um, sure. I look at those experiences and think I, I feel like I, I would say that I feel like my faith has been more impacted by those kinds of movies than by most uh, blatantly Christian movies. Amen to that. And I do think that part of it is the relationship that I have with Chad mm. and his perspective, his perspective that he, that he, the way that he sees those movies, I get to watch them through his eyes a little bit. And it really means something to me for whatever reason. Yeah. I think that maybe there's something there. Cause like taking the film aspect out of it for a second, um, it's we are very clearly a communal species. We don't do good when we're alone for very long periods of time as human beings. Like we need, we need each other or we die. And um, we were built that way, not just for survival sake, but also for mental health and spiritual health. And something about that community and storytelling, um, those are intertwined, it seems like in some way, like to have like, you can experience a movie. Like if you had watched that, um, it's not the Lonely Mountain. That's a different reference from a completely, Holy Mountain. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The Holy Mountain uh, by yourself, you might, you probably would have gone like, wow, that was really like, I feel like I got something and I feel, and you might be making connections to your beliefs in the days to come, but something about the community aspect maybe enhanced that as well. And like Tolkien, not Tolkien, uh, Lewis, this isn't about conversion necessarily, but in his belief structure, he spent most of his college years an atheist yeah. and beloved mythology was his main form of study. Um, and he kept finding things that like, wow, there's, there's a worldview that's being pointed here in ma- the mythologies that I am familiar with that seems to be converging upon similar themes that I have been avoiding. Yeah. But it wasn't until he brought those discoveries 
into his community of friends, which included Tolkien and others, that like a lot of stuff really began to click. And so like combining the storytelling aspects in community is like, there's something profound about that juxtaposition about us using our communal, mm -hmm. I don't want to say mind or properties, but our, our strengths, our necessity to be in community as human beings and have a shared experience around the story that informs it on a deeper level, which is really yeah. weird because for the majority of my filmmaking career, I have always preferred watching movies alone. Yeah. I feel like it's the most pure experience, but, but maybe that's wrong, you know? Or maybe it's something, it's not necessarily wrong, but just uh, understanding the dynamic and applying it intentionally to say like, Hey, I, I really need some alone time because um, I, I know that this is, I don't know, maybe I'm not typical, um, but, you know, when you sit down and you watch a movie a lot of time or go to pick a movie and everybody, ah, oh, what's you in the mood for, right? Exactly. Oh, something funny, something horror, something whatever. Uh, sometimes I'm in the mood for a, a, a spiritual movie. Uh, or uh, like ex a horizon expanding film. Mm -hmm. um, I don't tend to be in the mood for the typical genres. I'm not in the mood for an action film. You know, I like action films because some action films are just revenge flicks. Some action films are mm -hmm. um, really existential. So, like some action films are just masterclass um choreographed dances some of them are you know like there's just all these different things like ways to appreciate an action film and an action film that has like baby driver that's so craft driven it's like the sound and the way that it plays with the visuals and the choreography and everything that's a movie i want to watch with my film friends because they're going to explore that with me but if I want to watch a movie like um, Wim Wenders put out a movie uh, about Pope Francis, a documentary called Pope Francis, yeah. a man of his word. And I was like, I got to see that movie with my dad. Because hmm. he's a Catholic. And um, while we have a lot in common faith wise um, in the we can both be very argumentative people at times we we get our passions get up when we start talking about theology sure you know sure. so while we agree on a lot it, it it especially when i was younger and he was younger we would butt heads probably more and maybe just leave things to be in silence but like watching that movie i felt and others since then i feel like it has done a lot to reconnect me with my dad and and say to him like hey i respect your faith even though we disagree on things um because when it comes time to engage with this you're the one i want to engage with it uh or engage it with um and because he knows so much more about catholicism than me he can shed light on 
things that, you know, maybe the director is playing a little fast and loose with the facts here or, you know, say like, oh, did you know the movie The Two Popes? I think that came out last year. Um, He was able to be like, actually, like this thing happened here. And these are things that, you know, um, no one is really sure ever got said, but Mm. people suppose they must have talked about it. And, you know, all this stuff that I wouldn't know. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. That's just one of the things that I feel like in the future, um, you know, kind of talking as we talked about this together last week, a little bit, you and I realized that I want that to be more of a feature in my, um, intentional movie watching. Um, Mm -hmm. I think in the past I've been very haphazard about it. Um, just because I'm a relationally driven person, I have tended to watch movies with people and enjoy that a lot. Um, but now I think recognizing it um, in my forward conscious, I can actually be intentional about that and use it for my benefit um, instead of um, being cast to the whims of whatever is currently playing at the theater, you know, and that and and who can make it on that Friday night. That's what determines who I see that movie with, you know. Hmm. Like it could be more along the lines of, you know, just Marvel movies. I, I got to watch them with Zach, you know, whether he can make it opening weekend or not, you know, and, and to yeah. me, that's become the most important, more important part of that experience hmm. um, is the watching of that together as opposed to just the watching of it. Yeah. Maybe it's less about, cause we've, at least I've been thinking about how, the groups of people we watch movies with impact the way we watch the movie, which is certainly to be considered, but more, maybe more of it's like, how is this movie going to enhance my relationship with this other human being in some way? And maybe that's why we bring them like Roger Ebert is famous for saying like, I I see movies as like an empathy machine. It allows us to connect with other human beings. So there are moments in which I feel like this community, like whether it's, you and your, that pocket of friends or you and that one person or you and your family, I'm like, can feel like this movie will connect us better, like to either some topics or because of a shared experience that we will all appreciate and be able to like reminisce about later as a family or as a group of friends yeah. and like, oh, and, and kind of that we'll always have Paris mentality, you know, of just yes. like, yeah. Of just like we remember those days like i know you know it's been 20 years and i'm in colorado and you're over there in florida but boy do you remember like when we used to go film sequels to monty python in your friend's barn when we were high schoolers (laughs) (laughs) you know (laughs) true story by the way so it's oh my my brother filmed a uh a school project that was supposed to be about Macbeth and just styled it as the matrix so it's a it, like it's a video project of the plot of Macbeth and a bunch of, of and a bunch of teenagers doing backyard camera tricks to make people do amazing yeah. jumps and stuff. Yeah. So, so so maybe sometimes when we're picking like when we're like oh I don't think they're going to appreciate that movie. It can all you know yeah it can be for I don't want my movie to get squatted on by these people I know won't appreciate. Yeah. That can be a motivation. But maybe it's also more like I don't think this movie is going to enhance our community at the moment. 
Like yeah. they're not ready for it or it's not the right time. And just because I want to watch it tonight doesn't mean we all need to watch this tonight. Right. So it's something that like, it maybe it's, it's easier to watch movies alone. Cause I can, I, I know that it's easier for me to streamline the process of like, I want to watch this movie. I don't have to consult with anyone I'm popping in, watching it done. But like, and it's much, much harder to have that conversation you were talking about. What's everyone in the mood for? And it's frustrating, but like, yeah. Maybe it's more meaningful if you can, if everyone can make it through that mire and know like, Hey, maybe we're all like, let's go see infinity war. And, but like, even though maybe there are better movies on the docket to go see, like everyone figures out like, this is the one, like, this is the one we could watch right now that would enhance our experience together as friends and like pushing through that moment Mm -hmm. of frustration and trying to pick a movie yeah, you have the potential for a much better movie watching experience that is shared between people you care about. Yeah, yeah, I and it, and I think like in the end, that may help us f- form better habits that are less selfish too. You know, mm-hmm. um, how many times have I have has my wife been like, "Hey, you want to watch a movie? Sure. What's you in the movie for, babe?" Well, I know Katie's in the mood for a horror movie because she's always in the mood for a horror movie. <laughs> and I'm almost never in the mood for a horror movie. So right from the start, we mm-hmm. tend to we tend to begin at you want one thing and I want another and let's have a fight over who gets what they want. Like it's not going to be a raging yell at each other fight, but there's going to be a like, well, what about this one, babe? No, that is a horror movie. I'm not in the mood for a horror movie. Stop picking horror movies. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like that's instead of looking for like, can we find a horror movie that is actually going to help us find a common ground together or whatever, like find something that, uh, or can I find a, an art house film that's got a little bit of a horror splash in it for Katie. And then, um, you know, like we'll be able to watch. I, I know like everyone's had this experience together and I'm essentially saying, don't be a jerk about it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, isn't that the challenge? Like we're always jerks to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Putting our, putting our preferences hoping everyone will want to watch what we want to watch that's right. that's the frustration of like well just give up like because well, i know better i because i know better i, <laughs> I went obviously. to film school my opinions are right and theirs are wrong and of they course. need to be and tonight is not about entertainment or friendship it's about they don't have edu- a podcast it's, on film exactly it's about education and they should understand i'm the teacher they're the learner yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh i couldn't have put it better myself michael <laughs> we're terrible (laughs) yeah uh yeah so so i don't know i i think that like that's that's just kind of some of the stuff that i've been thinking about lately um as you know kind of driven by the fact that i've been seeing more movies by myself lately and Mm -hmm. and really finding that i was less interested in the films than i used to be and i don't know how much of that is just because of the weird the weird time we're in right now and just everything seems a little bit heavier and how much of it is um, that I have a harder time watching heavy movies when I can't watch them with people yeah, who help me contextualize it and help. They just get me more down. 
Um, I've watched a lot more uplifting film lately because I'm watching it by myself. And I, I have this runaway crazy brain that if I watch too many down things, my brain will just start going down. Um, sure. No, that's, pa- I mean, that's power film right there. Yeah. So I don't know. I, that's just some of the, some of the thoughts that I've been having lately about, um, about kind of community film watching, um, trying to put people above film in my life. Um, Cause I think that it's a temptation that I don't talk about often enough that as much as I love film, it's also a danger area for me. It's easy for me to care more about movies than people. Yeah, same. I I would concur with that. It is, it is a, a danger. Um, or rather, it's it's something that I I tend to. Or I'm more interested in watching the movie than trying to find someone to watch it with or include them in the experience. Well, that's going to do it for me this week. Once again, I'm going to ask our uh, our question of the week. What was your relationship with movies like in 2020? Uh, were they a safe refuge for you where uh, you could kind of escape from the craziness of the world? Um, was it... With the lockdown, were movies a huge temptation to you to uh, close out what was going on? Did you run yourself out of movies that you wanted to watch and you found yourself reaching more towards video games, music, TV, books, whatever? Just what was your relationship with movies like in 2020? I'd love to hear uh, hear what that is. Most of the people I hear from, again, they're going to be people on movie podcasts who, you know, still, you know, they still watched more more movies than ever this year um just because they've been home a lot so uh let me know how your relationship with movies was in 2020 you can call in to 616-287-0275 that's 616-287-0275 leave me a message to be included on the show or you can email me michael at truemythmedia.com and i will read your uh questions comments on the show next week well with that i'm gonna say thanks for listening and farewell friends Well, I'm glad that you were able to come on today and uh, make some time in your busy day uh, to have a conversation about uh, things that we really enjoy, our film and our faith. Yeah. Film, Um, faith, family. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Live, laugh, love. Live, laugh, love. (laughs) Oh, you'll appreciate appreciate this, maybe. Uh, I don't remember where I was, but, um, you know, I have... I have a strong anti-establishment streak in me. And so like, especially um, kitschy evangelical Christian crap. Um, Uh Someday I'm going to just start a, uh, start a Instagram feed of Christian crap that I find. Uh, (laughs) But one of them was a plaque that said, live, laugh, love. And the greatest of these is love. I'm like, that's not scripture. Like, are we going to start saying that at weddings now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, please work it into the vows. Live, Live, laugh, laugh. love. (laughs) But the greatest of these is love. Oh, man. My favorite. As that fellow Paul said. 
Yeah, I was gonna say my favorite beatitude: live, my laugh, favorite. love. <laughs> Blessed are those who live, laugh, love, because they'll have, or they will dance like no one's watching. <laughs> they'll dance like. Dude, we should write for the Babylon Bee. I'm sure they would love us. <laughs> yeah, that's what the Babylon Bee needs: more writers, more writers, <laughs> more content. <laughs> Real t- look, look. If you haven't picked up, they put out a book uh, in 2019 called "How to Be a Perfect Christian." It is one of the best books I have read in the last five years. It is so funny. Oh, that's great! I when I was All growing up, we had a book called "Growing Up Born Again." Oh um, boy! And it was it was kind of a satire of what it means to be an evangelical. Like there are chapters on um, what are permissible dishes to bring to a potluck. Oh. <laughs> no kidding yeah it's so funny it's so funny (laughs) growing up born again 